Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part two of the series, An Unfulfilled Potential, The Life of King Saul. In this message, Brandon explains that King Saul always seemed to pass off his responsibility to other people. So before we can live a life of potential, we must first take responsibility for what God has entrusted to us. All right, so hopefully that'll kind of catch you up a little bit from last week. And unless you've ever done this where you have spoken and then you had to go back and listen to yourself speak, you have no idea how hard that is for me to stay in here and listen to. I hate listening to my own messages. I hate hearing my voice. I'm like, how do people sit there week in and week out and listen to that? Um, And so you're amazing. It's a miracle of God. But... (laughs) But we are going to continue that thought of potential today and, and I want to move from, from that point of, of uh, the last thing that, that I said there was we've got to take responsibility for the potential that God's given us. I want to read a scripture to you out of 1 Samuel. It's uh, 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 38 and then we're going to pray and we're going to jump into this and look at our responsibility for our potential. It says there in verse 20, it says, Early in the morning David left the flock with a shepherd. Loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed, he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. He will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight against the Philistine. You're only a boy, and he has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. And struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And listen to this. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to these. It says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Well, God, we thank you for your word. 
Father, today I pray that we would be encouraged and we would be challenged to assume responsibility for our own life, to assume responsibility, God, for the potential you place inside of us. God, to assume the responsibility that you've given us, the the gifts and the talents, God, that you've placed inside of us, to assume responsibility for our own homes, God, and to assume responsibility for the vision you've placed upon this church. God, speak to our hearts now that we would leave here challenged and ready to go and do what it is you've created us to do. We love you and thank you for your word. May it sink deep into our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of the things uh, that I was praying about this week is when Saul was first called to be king, when Saul first came and and, uh, Samuel comes and he anoints him to be king, it's amazing because he leaves Samuel and Samuel tells him three things that are going to happen. And then as, as Saul leaves Samuel, all three happen. And he comes home, and Saul had been sent out to go find donkeys. They, their donkeys were missing, and Saul was looking for the donkeys. And so he comes, and he gets home, and he says, his, his uncle comes to him and says, Listen, where have you been? We've forgotten about the donkeys. We've been worried about you. And he said, Well, we went and talked to Samuel, and they all knew that Samuel was the prophet. He was the seer. He was the, the head honcho at that time. And his uncle gets excited. He says, Well, Saul, tell us what he says. What, what did he tell you? And he says, listen, he said that the donkeys were found and that I should return home because you weren't worried about the donkeys anymore. Now you are worried about me. But the Bible makes a point right there of saying this, but he did not tell him anything about being king. And see, I believe that that is the beginning of a problem that Saul carried throughout his entire life. He never would assume responsibility for who God had called him to be. Does that make sense? He never assumed responsibility. I mean, God had confirmed it. He had anointed him. He had confirmed it. The things began to happen. And then Saul still is afraid to step up and go, he told me I'm going to be king. Now, David had the exact opposite problem. You know, he wanted to tell everybody. Joseph, the same way. Joseph goes off and he goes and tells his brothers, you know, you're going to bow down to me one day. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Get in that pit. You know? (laughs) But Saul wouldn't assume responsibility for who God had created him to be. You see it over and over. When Saul comes and the Philistines are there and they're about to attack, what we talked about last week with Jonathan. Jonathan's there. Saul doesn't step up to the battle. He's hiding under a pomegranate. He's just back there waiting. And so Jonathan goes and attacks. The same thing with David and Goliath. Goliath's there. He's been coming. And listen, I wonder how long this had been going on. Because it says he came out and did it in his usual manner. So how long had Saul been defying the armies of Israel? So that when David gets there, he goes. Saul doesn't do it. David goes and fights Goliath. And listen to this. This just jumped all over my heart this week. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on a sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Listen, Saul was literally passing off his responsibility to a little teenager. And I thought about that, and boy, he was like, how many times do we pass off the responsibility that we've been given to somebody else? The very things that God has called us to do that he's put on our heart. And you know what's funny is how many people will come and tell you what's on their heart so that you can go do it. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That wasn't on my heart. That was on your heart. 
You go to, you're the one being called to do that. And, but we see right here very clearly that Saul is just passing it off. And you think about our country right now. Do you think we might be seeing a little lack of responsibility in our country today? I mean, when you look at our country, we've got more debt now than our grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren will ever pay off. I just believe our little deal where we like to swipe the credit card just went all the way up to the top, you know? We just like, let's just pay, let's just get in debt, we'll pay it off, we'll figure it out, you know? And so somehow we've got to realize that our country is, we are in the middle of one of the greatest examples of a lack of responsibility that we've ever seen. You look at our, 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 our morals in the country. We've lost all responsibility there. Anything goes now. In fact, the only thing that doesn't go is you saying that not everything goes. You just sit there as long as there, nobody cares. Listen, you can even be spiritual, but the minute you say Jesus, there's going to be an uproar. We can all talk about God. We can talk about this supreme being. But listen, as soon as you try to draw a line in the sand and you try to stand on truth, somebody's going to bow up, bow up and get their back up at you. And so we live in a place where our morals are destroyed. We live in a place where our, our, our marriages are no longer valued. And we, we see so much divorce, so much going on, where the devil's just having a field day. There's no responsibility there. Our families have been turned upside down. Listen to me. I don't know, I don't know why this has been on my heart so much, but those kids, man, they need us. If we don't do something this is supposed to be later in the message but if we don't do something man we're going to be in a mess we are going to be in a mess and we've got to be willing to take these kids and raise them up we've got to be willing to pour into their lives my, um, my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their family they've got three kids they went up to the mountains and this over the, the fall break last week and they went and they went to Dollywood and, and one of the things you know they did all these other things but the thing that the kids told me they loved the most and even uh, Chad my brother-in-law told me he loved the most was when they went horseback riding and you know how kids are they reach a certain age where they just don't want mom and dad to help you know but I think ours did that a little early ours are like five and they're like oh I got this you know well, my niece is seven, and she decided that she wanted to ride her own horse. She didn't want any help. She didn't want, and so Chad was like, man, what if this horse just takes off, off the mountain or something? What am I going to do? And so he goes, and, and he finally relents, and he says, okay, you ride your own horse. And so she goes and gets on the horse, and he said, after a few minutes, I wasn't worried anymore because I realized this horse wasn't going anywhere. He's like, you know, because you, you've seen them. You've been there before where you're, you go and ride these mountain horses. Maybe you've done that before. And the horse, it looks like most Christians, you know. It's kind of long-faced. And it just kind of... And when he was telling me that story, I really thought about this. And I thought about, you know, that is exactly how most Christians go through their lives. That's how most of us go through our life. Is that horse has, this kind of be cool. That horse has no responsibility but maybe once, twice a day going from one side of the mountain to the other. And that's all he does is he just kind of gets in there and they get him on. And you know, I'd like to be in the stable before the ride because you know the horses are in there going, give me a little person, give me a little person. No big people, give me a little person. And you know they're all there right there and they're like, that's the one I want right there. That's the one I want. And, and then they see the big guy coming, you know, and they're like, oh, gosh, I knew it. And there's probably the one horse that always gets the big guy, you know what I mean? And he probably just thinks that everybody hates him. But, <laughs> but, but so many times our lives can become that way 
where we just go through life and, you know, we just, our habits take over and every day we're just kind of plodding the same path. We're plodding the same trail. We're just moving from point A to point B. If I can just get there, God. We wake, listen, we wake up in the morning, we cut the alarm clock off and the first thought that pops in our head, tell me if this is not true, is I can't wait till I can go to bed tonight. (laughs) How many times do we do that? If I can just make it through the day, dear Lord Jesus, help me get so I can go to bed. And it's just from point A to point B. And it's just like those horses, no responsibility. But you know, the problem with not taking responsibility for your life is that you never get off that same path. You never get to a place where anything looks looks different. You know, that horse probably knows every tree along that path. And in one sense, that brings a lot of security. That brings a lot of, of, of safety because he's like, mm, I remember that oak tree. Yeah, I remember that one. I'm on the right path. Oh, there's a, there's a pine. I remember that. Oh, that's that rock I usually trip over. And we just do it over and over and over and over again. And we never assume responsibility for our own life. And so nothing ever changes. If you continue to do the same thing, you will get the same result. And we're all heavy laden. We all are so saturated with potential when we come to Jesus Christ. But if we never assume responsibility for our life, if we never take responsibility for that potential, we'll never fulfill it. God is not going to beat you over the head to make you do what he created you to do. He's given that ability to you, and he's calling you to begin to do that. See, we're created in God's image so that you and I automatically have potential. The God of the universe shaped us. He molded us. He, and then, man, when we get filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to take what was already there and he begins to add to it, there is so much that we can do in life. There's so much that we can change. And yet so many times we just don't assume responsibility for it. I want to read you a quick quote. This was from a fairly smart guy. He's, he's pretty intelligent. His name was Albert Einstein. And this was his quote. He said, man must cease attributing his problems to his environment And learn again to exercise his will, his personal responsibility. How many times do we live as victims in life? Something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. And every day we get up and that one thing is still robbing us. That one thing that just keeps us from ever moving on and moving beyond and coming into the full potential that God has for us. And we just continue to live in this victim mentality. I have seen people before who will come and steal and rob you blind and the next day walk in the door and somehow they're the victim of it all. You ever seen people like that? It doesn't matter what they do, they're always the victim. And then we sit around and look at life and go, why, is, why aren't things working out? Why aren't things happening? It's because we won't assume responsibility for our own life. Listen, everybody's had things happen. And I'm not, I'm not pretending to know everything that's happened to you. I'm not pretending to say that it shouldn't affect you, that it shouldn't bother you. But what I will tell you is God is bigger. Amen. God is bigger. And when you come to Christ, you, you, listen, you don't even have to draw the line. You say, Jesus, come and break this thing over my life. And then Jesus draws the line in the sand and he says, now walk, now walk. And the further you get from that line, the further away it gets, the further it gets from your mind. And it's not saying it won't come back, but the Bible says to take every thought captive. And when it starts to come back, you take it captive and go, no, Jesus dealt with that a long time ago. And you leave it back there and you let it go and you move on and you begin to see your potential fulfilled. And God, 
God can do so much more than what we can do on our own. And as we begin to yield ourselves to him. But see, the key here is that when he draws the line in the sand, he says, walk, you got to take a step. You got to move. You got to begin to take responsibility and move and do something. Do something. You know, it's a lot easier to steer a boat that's moving in the water than one that's sitting still. You can sit there and turn the steering wheel all you want to, but until the boat starts moving, you can't guide it. I know, I've done it before. But you see kids, they'll play over the car. They'll play on the steering wheel of the car. Turning it, turning it, it doesn't do anything. But when we start walking, God starts directing. When we'll start taking responsibility, God will start moving. And we'll begin to see God doing things in our life. And we'll begin to take a little step and a little step and a little step. And those little steps begin to add up. And pretty soon, a year later, you look back and you go, Oh my gosh, look at what I've done. Look at where I've come from. Because you began to step, you began to walk, you began to do. You know, the world neglects its responsibility by totally denying the fact that God is real. People who, who aren't coming to Christ, they, they deny it by becoming the God of their own world. Does that make sense? So if you're your own God, then who do you answer to? Yourself. And I, I just believe that we as Christians do that an awful lot too. We might be saved and, and going to heaven. But a lot of times it's easy to take God and go, okay, God, come over here beside me for just for a minute. And then we want to blame him when things don't go well. Just like Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. What did Adam do? He looks at Eve and goes, she did it. She did it. And people have been doing it ever since. She ate it. I didn't do it. She gave it to me, God. Punish her. Don't get me. And so we always want to do that. We want to pass the buck. We've got to realize that God is God. And we come to a place where we finally recognize that and put him as the authority over our lives. So many times Christians come to a place where instead of we recognize who God is and we recognize him, but our mentality is, okay, God, do it. You know, God is sovereign. He is, he is absolutely sovereign. But you know he gave you free will to make a choice. The Bible says that he sets before you this day Life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? But so many times, our mentality as Christians is just, okay, God, do it to me. Here I am, do it. And so many times, we're think, we think we're waiting on God, and God's sitting up there going, when are you going to do something? When are you going to assume responsibility for your life and start digging out of this hole? Or better yet, just let me dig out. You just walk. You just move. And so we come to a place where we just have to begin to assume responsibility for the potential that God's given us. So many times we don't assume responsibility because, listen to this, we don't assume responsibility because when you begin to assume responsibility, it brings expectations and expectations bring pressure. It's a whole lot easier to spend your entire life not doing anything so that no one expects anything from you than it is to take a chance to step in faith and to have people looking to you to stand up and preach every Sunday or twice a week or to have people at the job looking at you because now you're the one making decisions. But let me tell you, at least the path changes. At least you begin to do what God created you to do. I think the person in my life who has figured this out more than anybody else is my brother-in-law. Listen, he's, he's really smart, you know, he's really smart. And I think he figured this out because early on in his marriage, if his wife asked him to do something, he just totally screwed it up. She'd say, go hang this picture. I mean, he would hang it like this, you know. 
Or can you fix this molding on the floor? And I mean, it would just get destroyed. And now he is either the most, the least mechanical person I know, or he's just really smart. And he figured out if I screw it up enough, she won't ever ask me to do it again. And I think it's the latter. So now who gets called to come and do things at their house? Me or, or my father-in-law or his dad. And so he's sitting on the couch eating Doritos and watching ESPN. And we're over there hanging pictures and building decks and doing all kinds of stuff for him. I mean, he's got it made. But in life, it's that way, man. We get to a place where if I won't assume responsibility for my life, nothing will be expected. When I played baseball at Georgia Southern, Coach Stallings used to say all the time, he'd say, listen, the pressure you're feeling is self-imposed pressure. Nobody's put pressure on you. It's self-imposed. And we start mounting this pressure on our lives. You know, really, the only thing we've got to do is answer to God. You can step in faith and you can step in your potential. And in the end, all you're really responsible for is one, did I listen to God? Did I honor him? And did I do my best? The results are up to, up to him. See, here's the thing for me is I'm not afraid of failure. It, listen, if we open the doors up next Sunday and none of you come, I just pray you're somewhere being blessed. But if, if, if we open the doors and nobody's here and this thing just falls apart and it doesn't work, then, well, God must have something else for us to do. I'm not afraid of success. I mean, you know, some people are afraid, well, if success, more success brings more pressure, more, more success brings more expectation. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of is living my life mediocre. I'm afraid of living my life in the middle. See, I don't want us to be the same. I don't want to have the same 150 people walking in Sunday after Sunday and we start looking like that horse. We just come walking in. And we might go through the motions. We might raise our hands. We might shout. We might even, somebody might even dance a little bit sometimes. But the problem is, are we really doing anything different? Are people really being reached? Are people being changed? Are we doing anything? See, Jesus told this parable he said, it was, it's called the parable of the talents. And what it says is a man went away and he left uh, money, basically, with some of his servants. He gave five talents to one, two to another, and one to another. And it says that he went away and when he came back, the one who was given five gave him ten. The one who was given two gave him four. And the one who was given one was scared, so he stuck it in a hole. And when he came back, he said, I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you don't. So you harvest what you haven't sown. And so here's your talent. I was afraid. And the man says, listen, you should at least put it in the bank where I could have earned interest on it. He said, but because you're a wicked servant, throw him out. Throw him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness. And see, the thing we've got to realize is one day we will stand. Say it's not heaven or hell. It is one day we will stand before God and give account for what we did with what he gave us. And what we're responsible to do is the most that we can with what he's given. I remember when I was um, in, first started out in construction, I was straight out of college, didn't know anything. Somehow I ended up in the roofing business, which I'm pretty sure like it's down here somewhere. I mean, because it was hard. You're, you're, you're the hottest when, when it's hot. You're the coldest when it's cold. And somehow I ended up in this. And, and so they called me in. I had a college degree. So they called me in and he's like, why don't you bid this job for me? So I'm like, okay. I had no clue what I was doing. But I figured it up. I put it together. It was only like an $80,000. Well, it was an $80,000 job for everybody else. For us, it was like a $50,000 job or $55,000 because it's what they call leaving money on the table 
okay? And I went and I bid this job. It was the first job I ever bid. It was a little uh, dorm out here right behind the baseball field called Brandon Hall. You've probably seen it. If it leaks, I don't know why. But, <laughs> but we go and we bid this job and I walk in there and there were four other men who were probably about twice my age and they're sitting there and we're, we're opening bids. And they call out the first one and it was like $85,000. I was like, oh my gosh. Because ours was like fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. I'm thinking, oh, well, there's two more. Maybe it'll get better. And from there, it progressively went up. Until we, we left like fifteen, twenty-five thousand. I don't remember exactly. It was like fifteen or twenty-five thousand dollars on the table is what they call it. And the problem with that is if you don't have enough money in it, you know, you don't make anything. Or sometimes you end up paying somebody else to do the job basically because it costs you more than what you had in it. Does that make sense? But I'd left all this money on the table. There was all this, this extra that was out there. I mean, you want to be, if they were 85000 you want to be 84999 because the only thing you, got, you left out was $1. But man, I almost passed out. I, I threw all pride out the window. I ran them all down. I'm like, what, what did you have in it? What, what did I do wrong? And, they're, they're, and you know, they're loving it. They're like, <laughs> this boy is green. And they're just like, yeah, whatever, you know, just kind of threw me. I go and I go into the secretary's office and I, and I lay down and I, I mean, I look like I'm getting counseled because I'm laying on the couch and I'm thinking he's going to kill me. I'm going to get fired. I'm about to faint. But it was because I left all this money on the table. I mean, I'm freaking out. And later it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, it worked out fine. But man, I am freaking out. And see, the thing about it is, what are you going to leave on the table when you go to be with the Lord? What are you going to leave on the table when you stand before God and he says, this is what you did and this is what you could have done? How much are you leaving on the table? Because my prayer is that we wouldn't leave anything there. I would rather try and fail than leave it on the table. So what's God calling you to do? Are we taking responsibility for the life that he's given us so that we can do everything that he's called us to do? There was a lady named Mother Teresa. Anybody heard of her? She said, life is a promise. Fulfill it. In other words, God's given you this incredible life. Live it. Live it. Take responsibility for it. Grab it by the horns and live and do. And so we come to a place where we have to see that if we're going to really do what God wants us to do, we have to begin to take responsibility for it. One of the things that we have to begin to take responsibility for, and I alluded to this earlier, is we've got to begin to take responsibility for our own homes. Now, I know some of you here are in college, and you're like, that's like five years down the road. Some of you here are married. Some of you are older. Your kids may be grown. But I believe it applies to us all the same. See, our homes are under attack in the United States. We're in a place that we have to begin to take responsibility. A while back, I was... I was um, just praying, and, and you know, I know all your marriages are perfect and you don't have these struggles, but man, Susan and I were just at each other's throats. I don't know, have you ever just had those times when you just can't get along? And I'm just like, stop it. And she's like, what? I'm like, that breathing, that, that in and out. And I mean, you have to do that all the time? And she's like, Ugh. and then, you know, and I'm just minding my own business. And she's like, can't you do something? I'm like, what? I don't know, just do something. And, you know, we're just at each other's throats. And I'm like, my goodness. And I, I was praying about it. I was like, God, what in the world is wrong with her? There is something bad wrong with this lady. I'm like, come out of her devil. You know? 
I heard somebody say, this is totally off track, but I heard somebody say this morning, I was listening to a podcast, and I heard somebody say that they grew up uh, holiness Pentecostal. And so the women weren't allowed to wear makeup and they weren't allowed to cut their hair and they couldn't wear pants, so they had to wear the dresses. And he said, you know, we never had to cast out any devils. We just showed them our women. And, <laughs> and, and, and I thought that was so funny. And, and this is a guy who... <laughs> He's like, you know, they could have used a little Mary Kay. And so, but I, I thought that was so funny. And um, I didn't say that now. I'm just quoting somebody who grew up that way. So don't go out and say, he hates holiness Pentecostal. I love holiness Pentecostals. Um, but, but the funny thing, it was just a, a great statement. And so Susan and I are at each other's throats and we're going at it and we're fighting. And, and I said, God, what in the world is going on? What's the problem here? What's wrong, what's wrong with her? You know, God help her, Jesus, get her saved, whatever it takes, get her saved. And, and God put it on my heart, if you'll change, she will. And I thought, no, I don't think that's it, God. I don't think that's the problem. And he, oh, yeah, yeah. And I began to realize that if I wanted her to be in a better mood, if I wanted her to bless me, if I wanted her to esteem me, then I'd better start blessing and esteeming her. I realized that the pressure of ministry had turned me into this old horse that just walks, you know, just, just walking through life and just not even taking responsibility for my own home, just going through the motions. But, you know, I began to just come in the house and smile. You know, the saying is that if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. But usually mama's happiness depends on how daddy comes home. You ever notice that? And so I'd come in and I'd just smile. I'd smile. But you know, it didn't take long, and pretty soon, our whole, both of our attitudes started changing. Both of our attitudes started changing. God was doing something in both of us. We began to smile more. We began to laugh more. We began to talk more. We began to, you know, just do goofy things, you know? Like little, you know how you, you're, you're like seventh, eighth grade, you're flirting with a girl, you know, you kick them and just run and stuff. I mean, we just, just little things. We just began to, <laughs> what, y'all didn't do that? That's the best pickup line ever. But, but we just began to do things, you know? We began to just, just like this burden was lifted off of our lives, but it was because I had to decide to take responsibility for my own home. See, the biggest thing that men need in their life is significance. Ladies, you need to esteem your husband. You need to bless him. You need to let him know that he's good, that he has value, that if he fell off the face of the earth tomorrow, he'd be missed. Listen, if you can't find anything to esteem, dig a little deeper, you married him. Right? So there's got to be something there. Pull back all the back hair and everything else and find something there that you can esteem him for. All right? So there's, sorry, sorry. There's something there. But men need significance. They need to know that they matter. And they won't admit that. They're not going to come up to you and go, honey, could you esteem me? I really need to feel significant today. <laughs> Men aren't going to do that. But just trust me, they need to know that they matter to you. Women need security. Men, you need to bless them. You need to let them know that you're, you're great. I, if, if, if the best looking girl in the world were here, I wouldn't trade you. I wouldn't trade you for any of them. They need to know that no matter how many times they ask you, do I look fat in this dress? You just go, honey, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know. I don't have a clue. And you just bless them and you give them security. Let them know that, that, they're, that they're safe there, that it is a safe place because they need to know that. 
When it comes to our children, I want to ask you this question. If you don't have kids, I want you to remember this. One day, you'll be sitting there and you'll go, and it'll, you, when you have kids, and, and you'll think about this. But what are you pouring into your children's lives? What are you pouring into them? See, it's not always about what you don't do. Sometimes it's more about what you are doing. See, sitting there, and I love to watch ball games with my kids. I love to do those kind of things, but sometimes we have to cut the television off, pick up the Bible, and begin to teach them about who Jesus is. Sometimes we have to cut off desperate housewives for a little while and begin to go, hey, let me tell you, Johnny, about the love of God. Let me tell you about who I was before I met Jesus. And let me tell you this. See, listen, God put it on my heart real strong a while back. I was always waiting until my kids would go to bed to read my Bible. I would read their Bible to them, but I was trying to spend time with them at night. And so I wouldn't read the Bible with them. Or I'd read it with them, but they wouldn't see me reading mine. And so one day God just really put on my heart. They, you need to, I know it's sacrificing time that you could be playing, but they need to see you reading the Bible. It doesn't always just need to be you reading it to them. They need to know it matters to you. And now Jackson's so funny, my little three-year-old. He, he, talks, he doesn't say I, he says me. It's always me. Sean calls him me, Jack, because everything's me. Me, 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 you know. And, and so he doesn't say I. Like the, the song from Madagascar, I like to move it, move it. When he sings it, it's me like to move it, move it. I mean, even songs he sings, he substitutes me for I. But he'll come up to me, and he'll, it doesn't matter what book it is now. And he picks it up, and he goes, me read my Bible? Okay. And I look, and it's like upside down, you know. <laughs> and he's like, I was like, what's it say, Jackson? He'll say, me love daddy. And me like him too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that, I appreciate that, Jackson. But he understands, and now I can be holding just any book. I can be holding a magazine, whatever it is, and he'll come up and he'll say, that the Bible, daddy? Well, no, son, this is a book about God. This is a book about fishing. This is a book about hunting, whatever. But he comes up and he begins to recognize now that there's an importance to the Bible. And so there comes times when we've got to be willing to pour into our children. We, listen, if we can't turn over our faith to them, then we've lost. We have lost. And just because we've got it doesn't mean they're going to. It's easy for us to go through life and think because we're praising, we're worshiping. I was thinking about it today. I had a couple of kids standing beside me, and I'm worshiping, and they're kind of just standing there. And I started just to grab them and go, lift their arms up, you know. But, but they've got to get it for themselves. Just because you've got faith in Christ doesn't mean they're going to. We've got to pass it along. Man, there will be nothing greater than getting to the end of my life and knowing that all my kids serve God. I mean, it'll all be okay. That's, that's all that matters is knowing that they serve God. They serve the God of the universe, Jesus Christ. We, uh, my niece, she comes up to me, and this is just a cool thing to me. She came up to me the other day, and we were talking, and, and, and they were there, and, and she said, uh, somebody said something about being afraid. And she goes, nope, I'm not afraid. And I said, you're not. And she goes, no, because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> but I thought that was so awesome that here she is. She's seven years old, and she's just quoting Scripture. Now, whether or not she's actually using it, I don't know. But she knows it. It's there. She knows it. And so now she's realized it's a cool thing, so she just goes around everywhere quoting that Scripture. But isn't it cool to know that the Word's already in her heart and that it's being planted there? The other place that we have responsibility the other place is with the vision that God's given us. If you're here visiting, 
then, then take this for what it's worth. There's a vision wherever your home church is that you're responsible for. But for those of us who this is our church, God has given us a vision. See, listen, God has called us to love God and love one another. I mean, Jesus said that that basically sums up all the commandments. You know, when people walk through the doors of this church, are we still loving them? Are we still greeting them? Are we still making them feel welcome? The, the comment that we would hear more than anything else is when people walked in, they would say, man, I just felt so welcome. But are they still feeling that way? See, if we lose that, we've lost our purpose. If people can't walk through the doors, you let somebody walk in the door who is not a Christian and they're not greeted, they don't feel welcome, they're not coming back. And the statistics say that most people now take six months of t- attending church before they'll accept Christ because they come so skeptical and they're just watching. So if we lose them on the first time, how are we ever gonna get them to realize that Jesus is who he says he is? So we've gotta be loving them, we've gotta be greeting them, we've gotta be welcoming them. We've gotta come here with a heart to serve. We've gotta be willing to serve. Listen, if everybody in this church would be willing to serve in the children's ministry, you know how often you'd have to do it? Maybe once every two or three months. I understand that you want to sing, you want to hear a message, you want to do all those things, but God has called us to a purpose of serving one another. When you come in the door and you greet people, you're serving one another. When you're loving each other, you're serving one another. It is literally a form of worship. Anytime you put God on the throne of your life, whether it's serving somebody, whether it's singing a song, you are worshiping God. So when you walk through that door and you begin to genuinely love people, you begin to genuinely share with people, you, you are serving, you are worshiping God. I don't believe that there's anything that blesses God more than to see people come together from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, and be able to share in the love of Christ with one another. And to serve one another. We've got a responsibility to the connect groups. Listen, that's a huge part of our vision. These small groups, you need to be in one of those. That all possible, you need to be in one of those. Because it's part of the vision that God's given us. Is to sharpen one another. To be able to grow closer to one another. To be able to develop with one another. We don't grow. We don't ever fulfill everything that God wants us to do on our own. We can't get the mind of Christ when we're all separated. We have to come together and begin to grow in intimacy with one another and with God. We've got to come to a place where our kids are of utmost importance. We have a great responsibility to these children. And it can't be just me or just one or two people that do it. We've all got to come together and begin to pour into their lives so that we do raise up the next generation. Those of you who are here a couple of weeks ago, I preached out of Isaiah 58, and in verse 12 right there it says, and you will lay the foundations for the next generations. We are called to lay a foundation. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a college student, a high school student, it doesn't matter if you are 75 or 25. Our responsibility is to lay a foundation for the next generations, those generations that are to come. I want to tell you real quick, and we're going to get out of here. But I believe that the key to doing this, I believe that the heart of doing, uh, fulfilling your potential by by being responsible for your life and taking responsibility for your life is one, to be intimate with God, and two, to be obedient. 
Listen, Jesus was always going off and he was going and praying and God was giving him direction and he was speaking to him and he was talking to him and telling him what to do and where to go and then Jesus would do it. It was the prayers on the Mount of Olives, but then it was also Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, God, not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. And so he knew what God was gonna do. He knew who God was. He was close with God, but then he was also obedient to God. And so God's calling us to that place of, of being close to him. I think about John, when John was laying around at the, the Last Supper, around the table, and it says that he put his head to the chest of Christ. He's calling us to that intimacy. But he's also calling us to take up our cross daily and to follow him and be responsible with the things that he's given us. And so we become close and in relationship and intimate with God. But I think sometimes today, that we use grace as a crutch to not have to be obedient. And God's calling us to both. And so I want to, it's what I want to ask you today. The question I want to leave you with today. Who are you like? Are you like David or Jonathan? Are you stepping into your potential, taking responsibility for your life? Are you like Saul? Are you trying to give your armor away? Are you trying to give away the things that God's given you to use to advance his kingdom? Because we've got to decide which one we want to be. Do I want to be a kingdom builder or do I want to just try to pass the buck to somebody else? Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Will you stand with me?